listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, I'd like to share with you a brief message this morning from the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14, and I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 19, beginning at verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So I wonder, how do you feel about rules, just generally speaking? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Would you include a tribute to rules in your eHarmony profile? Enjoys reading, running, and rules. Sounds like a winner. Rules and regulations are the absolute best, aren't they? I mean, if you're anything like me, every time you slam on the brakes to stop at a red light, the first words out of your mouth are, praise the Lord. Or every time the referee blows his whistle and calls you for a moving screen, you utter a hallelujah under your breath, and then you thank the ref for his attention to detail. And every time you read through the new edition of the DNR's hunting and trapping regulations, you are moved to tears and your love for the government is rekindled, right? Isn't that how it works? Every time I read this part of Psalm 19, that's kind of how this psalmist sounds to me. David uses all of this flowery language to talk about how awesome God's law is, his instruction. I mean, I'll just repeat a few of these lines here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The decrees of the Lord are firm. They are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than honey. I mean, if the kids on the playground heard him reciting this poem, they'd probably say, well, if you love the law so much, David, why don't you marry it? So what's going on here anyway? Well, three things, three very important things about God's law. Number one, God's law is good. Number two, God's law is hard. And number three, God's law is fulfilled. 
God's law is good. God's law is hard. God's law is fulfilled. That's where we're headed today. So number one, God's law is good. When the psalmist calls God's law perfect, he's not exaggerating or being hyperbolic. God's law is a good, holy, and righteous thing, as the Apostle Paul tells us explicitly in Romans 7, 12. God's law is flawless because it was written by a flawless lawgiver. Every word of God's law in Scripture, summarized especially in the Ten Commandments, is written by a compassionate, just, and merciful ruler. And not only that, but he intends all of it for our benefit, for our good. In other words, we desperately need the law. Since our moral compasses are so broken, they need to be continually retuned and recalibrated to true north. And that's where the law comes in. It corrects us and it guides us along the right path. Do this. Don't do this. Thou shalt. Thou shalt not. The law reveals to us the error of our ways and points us in the direction we should go. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 7b. He says, I would not have known what sin is had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, we need God to reveal right and wrong to us Because, man, left to our own devices, we don't know right from wrong. In the words of Jonah, we are like people who may not know their right hand from their left. So apart from God, what do we do? Well, we just kind of spin in circles. God's law is a good thing because it clearly marks out the line between right and wrong, and it reveals the danger of straying from that path. This is why we get this famous passage from Psalm 119, 105, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like, we really mean that, and we really affirm that. So think of it like this. Like a construction sign, God's law points out the way we should go. Now, you think construction signs, and you may want to do what I do, and we probably want to roll our eyes. There's a lot of that going on on Highway 27 right now, right? Detour markings and cones and barrels and and barricades. And sometimes all of this seems like more of a hindrance than an actual help. But without all of this safety equipment, the danger would be infinitely greater. Cars would careen through the construction zone at 60 miles per hour. Bikers would rocket straight down off the Central Lakes Trail since the bridge is out and there would be nothing to warn them, right? Signs are good. They're there to help us. They're there to protect us. Maybe you're still not convinced, though. Fair enough. Let's raise the stakes. Let's say we lived in a more mountainous region. Say Bolivia, for example. In Bolivia, there's a road called the Death Road, And it has earned its nickname. By some estimates, 200 to 300 people die on it every year. It's this this tiny little road that that kind of hugs the mountainside. You can Google it and it, it it will cause your stomach to drop just by looking at the pictures. But buses drive on this thing. Cars drive on the death road. And one wrong turn could send you plummeting 2,000 feet to your death. Now, in a situation like that, you might view the law, right, the signs, a little bit differently. 
you would probably be very thankful for them because it would be hard to deny their importance. In fact, if properly followed, the law can save your life. In the same way, God's law functions as a signpost for our lives, marking out the way we should go. And for that, we, like the psalmist, can be thankful, right? God's law is good, number one. But, number two, God's law is also hard. God's law is hard. You see, King David in this psalm, he doesn't stop with just praising the goodness of God's law. Following along with the psalm, you see a clear shift in tone when you get up to verse 12, where it's almost as if he just blurts it out. He says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. After extolling the virtues of God's law, right, it's perfect and trustworthy and pure and more precious than gold. After all of that, he runs up smack into a wall. As good as God's law is, he just can't do it. He just can't pull it off. He can't obey it fully. Its requirements are unattainably high, like trying to pole vault over the Empire State Building. How so? Well, when God commands something like, for example, Fifth Commandment, you shall not murder, He's not just talking about the external act. He's not just talking about your actions. He's more concerned with the inward attitude of our hearts. Listen to what Jesus says in His Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, 21 through 22a. Jesus says, You have heard it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, he's ratcheting up the requirements of the law. He's telling us, no, no, it's not just about whether you have pulled a trigger or shot a gun. It's about your heart. And the anger in our hearts, what's behind that is a murderous intent. You see, we're not just guilty if we commit murder, but even if we harbor anger in our hearts, we are breaking that commandment. That's a a really high bar, isn't it? You see, when we look in the magnifying mirror of God's law, then we see how far the disease of sin has actually spread and how deep the infection is. The Apostle Paul hits us hard with the diagnosis in Romans 3, 10 through 12, It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's a pretty stinging indictment. And what are the consequences of breaking the law? Pretty simple, pretty clear. It's death both temporary and eternal. Romans 6.23a, for the wages of sin is death. There's another half of that verse that you will want to read. 
later on. But right now, we're just talking about the wages of sin. And just like Bolivia's death road, when we fail to obey the road signs all of the time, 100% of the time, you let your guard down for even a second, and we stray off the edge and plummet to our deaths. Man, God's law is hard. How hard? Well, we get a clue in this psalm. David prays for God to forgive even his hidden faults, meaning he's broken God's law so many times and in so many ways, knowingly and unknowingly, that he can't even keep track of them. See, God's law is this, as I don't know if it was Emily or Zeke mentioned this morning, be holy for I am holy. That's a really tall order. God's law is good, but God's law is also hard. In fact, true obedience to God's law is out of our reach, according to God's word. So God's law is good, God's law is hard, but finally God's law is fulfilled. What do I mean by that? Well, this other component of God's law, it being fulfilled, is something we tend to to overlook. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10.4. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end, the culmination, or the goal of the law. What in the world can that possibly mean? It probably sounds strange to our ears, but here's what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus Christ fulfilled God's law perfectly. You see, all of the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. All of those laws and everything else in between, including the fine print, Jesus Christ obeyed fully and completely. God's law is fulfilled. Guys, there are no commandments written down in this book anywhere on any page that are not fulfilled, that have not been done fully and completely by Jesus Christ. Christ. All of the boxes have already been checked. You maybe think of it this way. Jesus has passed the test for you with flying colors, and then what he did was he wrote your name at the top of the page so that you get full credit. You can think of it like this. This is another helpful phrase. God gives what he requires. God gives what He requires. So when God makes demands on us, Ten Commandments are the easiest example of this. When He does that, He doesn't just put the ball on our court like, all right, do what you got to do and maybe I'll grant you salvation. No. God Himself became a human being and fulfilled every last one on that list to perfection. On our account. See, there is nothing He demands of us that He did not do Himself during His time on earth. 
Only Jesus loved the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only Jesus never had an angry thought, much less uttered an angry word. Only Jesus never lusted, lied, or stole. Only Jesus honored his father and mother fully and completely. Only Jesus loved, feared, and trusted his heavenly father above all things. Only Jesus never misused the name of the Lord his God. Only Jesus loved his neighbors, a.k.a. us, as himself. Even when we were still his enemies, shedding his own blood to pay the penalty for our sins, to secure our peace with God and the promise of eternal life. See, his obedience is credited to your account, which means that in Christ, you, dear Christian, have obeyed God's law perfectly. So when God looks at you, he does not see a failure. He sees a smashing success. Not because you've been particularly good at obeying, but because Jesus was. And all out of his endless, unconditional love for you and for me. And if we believe that, if we trust in that, and we profess Jesus as our Lord, all of those benefits are ours for free. God's law is good. God's law is hard, and God's law in Christ is fulfilled. Guys, Confirmation Sunday is not an ending. Sometimes we talk about it that way, like we're graduating from church. You know, grab your cap and throw it in the air. Grab your hymnal, maybe, throw it in the air. Uh, It's over and done, but that's not right. We never graduate from needing God. We never graduate from being students of His Word. We never graduate from needing the fellowship and friendship of other Christians. So my hope and my prayer for you today, Zeke and and Emily, is that you would be like the person that the psalmist describes in Psalm 1-3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. That's a promise. And God doesn't lie. Here's the thing, guys. 10, 20, 30 years from now, you might not be able to remember question number 157 in your catechism. Shocking. I know. You might not remember the order of the Ten Commandments. You know what? You might even forget your place as you are reciting the Apostles' Creed in front of your congregation as a pastor. Not speaking of experience here, of course. Just, uh, guys, it happens. I tell you, it, it, it was embarrassing. But of all the verses we've read during our, your one year with me and your other year with Pastor Quam, all the verses you've read, all the topics you've covered, all the memorization work we've done, and all of the words that you have learned, in the end, only one word matters. Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. He always has been, and He always will be. And even when you grow old and gray, I know this seems impossible, but believe me, statistically speaking, chances are pretty good that you will. 
And even if your memory falters and you can't remember Jesus, He always remembers you. And in the end, that's all that matters. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.